Hey everyone, welcome to the Dreamers Podcast, a show all about living the dream in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Brooke Ranson. So you know I'm always preaching the quote, if you can dream it, you can do it. Walt Disney said that, not me. But I wanted to share with you that I am dreaming it and I'm doing it. You guys, I'm moving back to New York City it's official. I'm so excited. And yeah, I just wanted to update you all. I've been living in Atlanta for the last few months to save money because this is my hometown. And I've been working on some film sets in Atlanta. I'm super grateful to have been able to work in Atlanta. Um, But I know my heart and soul is meant to be in New York and it's time to go back. So here we go. Let's dream it and do it. My guest today is kind of a big deal. Drew Gasparini is here. He's an award-winning musical theater composer slash lyricist, singer, songwriter, and teacher. Drew is currently developing the Broadway-bound musical adaptation of Karate Kid. And it's kind of a funny story. That's the name of his show. Drew has been living the dream in this industry for over 12 years. If you haven't heard of him yet, shame on you because his songs are genius. After this episode, you can go down the rabbit hole on YouTube. I promise it's worth it. I am truly honored to get to talk with him and learn about his process and his advice for aspiring artists. Here's our conversation. So I was thinking like, who's good behind the scenes kind of people and <laughs> you <laughs> came to mind as a broadway composer and sure. um, doing my research on you you've done so much and i feel like you're a hidden gem you've just like <laughs> you've done everything you've worked with everybody yeah. um, but you're only just getting started so yeah, that's what that's what it might seem like to people but yeah it's it's been a long road <laughs> it's so funny when someone says uh, like overnight success or something like that, there is, there's this gap of time that people seem to be missing. And even though it might seem like, cause I'm writing Karate Kid, that has brought a lot of attention to me. And there's been like big fancy press releases and my name is next to a lot of other big fancy names, but I've been doing this for 12 years. I mean, it's, it's, I haven't tried other things. I've been doing this for 12 years. I've written yeah. over, a, I've written 11 or 12 musicals and I have worked with everybody who's in the game and I've done countless concerts at Joe's Pub and 54 Below and I've, I've made sure I had a presence in the New York theater scene for yeah. the last 10, 12 years. But a lot of people might not have known who I was because they didn't, I didn't have a big karate kid under me yet, yeah. you know? So um, it's kind of funny hearing people say things like that. Like I've done interviews where they're like, so wow, where you been? I'm like, I've, <laughs> I've been here. I've been doing this the whole time. Nothing's yeah. changed. Mm-hmm. I've just been, um, you know, waiting for the big project to come along. And and I, I still can't believe that it was Karate Kid that came my way. So yeah. Yeah. What are you doing right now? Because we'll talk Talking about to you. you have done. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, you are. <sighs> But what are you working on? What does your day-to-day look like right now? Uh, my day-to-day, you know, since the pandemic started has basically been the same as it was before the pandemic started, only a little slower. 
So uh, I function my life kind of like I am the CEO of a company that doesn't really exist. Like I'm the company <laughs> and I structure my day accordingly. I get really hardcore about my time management and about my creative input and output and, you know, absorbing new material that other people are writing. So I can see if it influences what I might be writing. There is really an input and an output factor to how I design my day to day. Um, and on top of being a Broadway composer, I'm signed with a publishing company. So I'm writing songs for other artists. I'm writing songs for commercials and TV shows and uh, movie trailers and video games. And when I'm not working on music, I'm doing television script writing or, uh, you know, hard, uh, trying to find time to treat myself to a workout or a Netflix episode of something, you know, but yeah. I, I really try to function my day like a 7 a.m. get started. I'm up by 6.30, I start work by seven and I try to put pencils down by 9 p.m. so that I can have a few hours of chill time. But yeah. I, I work, I grind, I always have. That's yeah. great. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, need, you need to have that <laughs> drive to, to make it in the industry. You do. Um, it becomes an obsessive. You realize, you know, after you do it for a while, how much you sacrifice by doing it. But this this business is hard as it is, as hard as the life of being in theater is. It's a great life. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't mind the sacrifices. Like I know that my friends and I are close enough that I could take a couple months off from hanging with them or even really talking to them so that I can focus on my task at hand um, and put my nose to the grind. Right. How do you find that balance though? Like, and, and rest. The word. <laughs> rest is, uh, I've never been a sleeper. I've yeah. never really been a good sleeper. Um, sleep under the desk kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like George Costanza, that episode of friends, I built like a little <laughs> nap pad under my desk. Yeah. Uh, no, I just, I've, I've, I think I thrive on like four hours of sleep or something like that a night. So I don't require a whole lot to function. I kind of just have high energy and I'll coffee up in the morning before I get started. And then, you know, once you get momentum in your day and you're actually feeling productive, that productivity kind of keeps fueling the fire. So you can go and go and go and go and go. When I was in my twenties, I would go days without sleeping. I would go days and days, like four days in a row without sleeping at all. And just kind of try to write and try to create and it never seemed like I was going days without sleeping. It was just this weird kind of, huh, the sun's up again. Oh, wow, went down again. Oh, wow, it's up again. <laughs> like, I, honestly, I, I wasn't even thinking about it because I was so happy to be doing something, to be contributing something to an art form that I loved or to be collaborating with somebody that I loved in the business. I just, I've always had uh, an absolute love for what I do. And that's why the sleep thing never became priority. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try to now I'm in my thirties yeah. now. So the body slows down a bit and I've talked to enough <laughs> doctors who are like, no, you need to, you need to rest. You need to, when you go on vacation, actually vacation, don't bring all of your projects with you on vacation and then lock yourself in the hotel room and, you know, go to the beach, like have a seat on the beach, grab a beer, do your thing. I need to get better at doing that. And it's something I'm working toward. Uh, I started meditating this year, which has been helpful and has kind of helped me keep my my demons at bay. And I started doing therapy a few years ago. So all those little mental practices in place 
help me keep uh, a steady pace with my work. Yeah, I love that. I'm just very, yeah, intrigued to know that because yeah, for me, I'm also the same. I, I have a lot of energy. And I want to be creating all the time. And then like literally the other night, I was like, okay, just put the phone away. Like put everything away. Just watch a movie. I watched Nomadland. Have you seen it yet? I have. I did. I watched oh, that yeah. uh, last week, a couple weeks yes, ago. Yes. I just watched it the other day and I was like, and it felt like a vacation because you're just kind of like in that cinematic, like, like you're just a nomad with her yeah, and I felt yeah. like I just refreshed and recharged and I was so inspired by that and I was like yeah. oh my gosh I finally got to watch a movie without thinking about all the other 10 things I need to do right now and right right <laughs> and just take it all in and I'm like man I need to do that more often so it's just like finding that balance and because sometimes it's like it's either I'm like one extreme or the other like I'm really go 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 non-stop or I'm like overwhelmed and I just kind of like lock myself in my room and then that's like not healthy either <laughs> yeah that, that's right it's it all comes down to balance which is so yeah. which is like the theme in karate kid is balance oh like, really yeah. yeah in the movie talk about Miyagi, karate kid let's let's well, just segue like legally allowed to say but yeah uh, i i can say that we are going to broadway I can't yes. say i can't say like when but we just talked about dates and we have a trajectory and yeah, you, you know, tweeted something about it today. How because because I was just looking at the score again today, and I was just looking at the video footage that we all got to see of the choreographers Keone and Mari Madrid, who are amazing choreo uh, choreographers. They're also directing the Britney Spears musical. Oh, and uh, so they sent us like these clips a few weeks ago of like basically proofs of concept of how they see the show in terms of movement. And it's them dancing to these songs I wrote, and I've, I just kind of lost my mind. I just kind of like, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing with my eyes. I was saying out loud, I was like showing my mom, and I was like saying out loud, this is going to change Broadway. It really, like, there is something really special about what we're doing with this adaptation. And a lot of people hear Karate Kid the musical, and they roll their eyes because that doesn't, sound like something that needs to happen you know it's like it's like pretty woman the musical <laughs> yeah mean girls the musical. <laughs> right right it's another adaptation it's another movie adaptation and and i've said this on fifteen thousand other podcasts at this point but when i was offered when i was first asked about the job if i'd be interested in going in for it i said no twice in the wow. same year i was like no that sounds dumb frankly that doesn't sound you know like rocky the musical is how i heard of Karate Kid the musical. It just sounded like the same, like who's gonna see this? Who needs this in their lives? And then I realized that the underdog story in Karate Kid is so important because he's a young kid and he has this older generation of a different culture showing him the world and showing him the importance of balance, which is something that I myself lack. I feel like a lot of people in the society in America really lack balance because it's we're all programmed to like work and put and put our mind to it and just like crank it out and then come home and like you know we have our purpose we have our we're providing we're doing this everybody has their like one track mind tunnel vision approach to how they live their life and we lack balance severely and there's also a gigantic anti-bullying message in the Karate Kid which I think is beautiful so when we started working on it I put all of my heart into it, knowing that we're not just like copy pasting this movie onto the stage. This is gonna stand all by itself. 
Karate Kid the musical is so different. This is not that. This is the musical Karate Kid. It is its own thing. Like there's the movie, there's Cobra Kai, there's all these things in the Miyagi universe, in the Cobra Kai, in the Karate Kid universe. Cobra Kai has a huge fan base too. Huge fan base. And it's all this amazing accidental free publicity for us, which is so, so cool. Uh, And... I, I'm just really proud of the work that we're doing with it. And I'm really, I'm, I pinch myself every day. I tell you what, man, it's like you said, you're, you're making it sound like I just came out of nowhere and all of a sudden here I am, but I have been working my wiener off trying to get something cooking at this level. I never thought it would be Karate Kid. I don't know why I would have thought it would have been something like Karate Kid. But I know who else was up for this job, and they're not small names. These are big name composers who've had strings of hits, and I'm not that. So the fact that I get to, I'm an underdog who gets to write this underdog story, I think makes it not just a special experience for me, but I think it's going to translate into the material, and people are going to get a good uh, glimpse of that. And like I said, I hope it's not hyperbolic because I might sound a little biased because I'm working on it. I really think we're going to shake up what visually can and musically even happen on Broadway. This is this is something special and I hope people are as excited about it as I am. <laughs> no, I love to hear you talk about it and how passionate you are. It like makes my heart sore and um just like to be the first show. Hold on, my mom is talking really loud and she's yeah. annoying me. Hold on, one second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you keep this in the episode. Hey Dreamers Podcast listeners, I want to take a second to tell you about this awesome online platform called Broadway Plus. They're the leading industry experts at connecting you with your favorite Broadway stars through amazing virtual experiences like meet and greets, concerts, and coaching. But here's the real fun. Broadway Plus also plans weekly workshops and Q&As with your favorite Broadway and West End stars, and these experiences start at only $15. Check out upcoming workshops and events at broadwayplus.com workshops. See you there. No, you're going to be the first show that comes back to Broadway when Broadway opens up again. Well, we'll be, I don't think we're going to be one of the first shows because they have, again, I just talked to the producers. So there's a backlog of a bunch of shows that didn't (laughs) get to open because of COVID. So we have to give all those shows their life back. You know, we have to make sure that Broadway opens back up in a way that's not just, what can we put up there that's going to excite people? Because I definitely think a title like Karate Kid would excite the public. But the truth is, that's not how the theater community rolls. That's not how I want to roll either. Let's give those shows that didn't get their life, their life. They deserve to be on Broadway. And uh, we have a couple more steps in development. So what that really does is gives us another year to further hone this show into perfection or to something close to that, because I actually don't even believe in that word perfection. Uh, and we're And then we'll be there by you know, in the next couple of years after Broadway has navigated its way out of this, mm-hmm. uh, trying not to swear, uh, diarrhea volcano, we'll call it. <laughs> That's kind of what 2020 felt like and this pandemic has felt like, especially for live entertainment and the theater arts. So yeah. once Broadway has figured that out, we'll be right there ready to go. And that's going to be very exciting. I love your optimism. That's that's so great and powerful. And that's what I want to hear on my podcast. I love it, man. Hey, <laughs> yeah. hope is the thing. Hope brings us, it's, it hopes what pulls us into the next day. If we didn't have hope, why would we even want to go into the next day? So 
hang on to hope, you know? So talk about the process. Like for someone that has never written a song in their life, doesn't know anything. They just think it just like magically appears on their screens or in the theater. What is that process like when someone calls you up and says, hey, can you do Karate Kid? What do you do? Like what's, how do they give you the story? Do they, you already have songs that they're like interested in? Like how does that whole process work? For a show like Karate Kid, since it's an adaptation, it's not like we have to go digging for a storyline to make the show work because the story is tried and true. And it's been one of the most famous movies of all time for the last 38 years or something like that. So that wasn't the challenge. The challenge was how do we make it sing without it being A, cheesy and trite? And how do we... How do we uh, make it honest? And so I think for anybody, like you said, if you haven't written a song before, if you haven't written a musical and you want to know how this works, there everybody has their own method and their own process. And if you listen to anything I've done, I have an album called I Could Use a Drink. I have an album called We Aren't Kids Anymore. And these albums are just kind of uh, material that I, as a songwriter, like pull out of my own ethos and out of my own um, diary, basically. And and the way I would approach an adaptation like Karate Kid is no different. I have to see these characters as people I would root for through the lens of these characters. Like I know I'm not Daniel LaRusso, but I do know what it feels like to be the new kid. And I do know what it feels like to travel across the country and not know anybody. And I do know what it feels like to rely on your mentors for guidance. And um, so I found my way in to writing the characters of Karate Kid because aside from all the, you know, wax on, wax off and the crane kick and all those like famous parts of the movie, there is so much real human heart that goes on in these characters. So where the story is obviously the king In terms of the songwriting, my approach is always character is king. I really want people to root for and empathize with the the people whose story it is. So uh, even with Mr. Miyagi, our producers are great. And I have to say, I don't don't have to say this, but I feel like I should say this. There was, I, I got a lot of messages from people being very angry that I am not Japanese and I'm writing a show where one of the centric characters is Japanese. But the truth is this is not a Japanese story. This is a very American story. It's about an American kid from Jersey who happens to meet the one Japanese character in the whole show, which is Mr. Miyagi. But to give my producers tons of credit, they believe in me so much. And I was all, my biggest concern was I wanna be culturally appropriate for when I do musicalize Mr. Miyagi. They flew me to Okinawa which is not Japan, by the way, to all those people who were shitting on me, or sorry, for all those people who were uh, messaging me saying, he needs to be Japanese to write this show. It's not even Japanese, it's Okinawan. So all those people need to do more research and understand what it is. And they flew me to Okinawa for two weeks and I was out there learning with these composers, these Okinawan composers, and they taught me so much that I will never forget. They taught me how to play a brand new instrument I'd never played before. They taught me the Okinawan scale, which is different than most Asian scales in that culture. They taught me a whole lot and I've applied all of that to when Mr. Miyagi sings in the show, which is seldom because now let's all pause 
and imagine Mr. Miyagi having some big tap number or something. He's not the most musical guy. So it's not like his songs are the big crazy numbers. He's got one significant number and a couple of small teaching moments because Mr. Miyagi is soft-spoken. That's part of his character. Um, so you got to give the credit to the producers for making sure that I felt comfortable doing it. And that's another reason why I think the show is going to be so special. It's not, it's not what I think this character would sound like. It's like, oh, now I know what this character would sound like because I just got the education of a lifetime because of these producers. Cool yeah, it that. sounds like this is the project you never knew you needed. <laughs> Honestly, you're, I, I, every day I get deeper into this. I am reminded that I was meant to be doing this. I really was. I pinch myself because who knows what I did right to deserve this, but I, I am grateful for every moment of this. And every time I write something or try something new and run it by the team, it's not always a home run, but I am reminded by them and their support that I am the guy for this job. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that with ego, I'm just saying that with confidence. And it, it took a lot of climbing uphill to find that confidence that I am supposed to be writing this huge title musical. And I'm, I'm just thankful every single day. I can't wait for it. And I wanna kind of talk about the confidence thing and being a creative person. And I just graduated school. So for any of the listeners out there that are trying to trust their gift and their talent, but there's so much noise in the world and there's comparison and Instagram and all that stuff. It's just like, it gets hard. And and do you have any advice for people who wanna do what you do one day and, and just falling into the like whole, um, uh imposter syndrome <laughs> of yeah, like yeah. not being good enough or like trusting your talent and everything that you are and now you're getting to do a big project like this and it's like it is everything that you are and have done and so how do you trust that throughout the journey um first of all congratulations on graduating Thank that's you. super cool welcome to the world post graduation that's really really righteous uh, secondly, I know all about the imposter syndrome because you can't help sometimes, but let that seep into your psyche. Let that seep into your process because the first you know, four or five years I was in New York trying to make it, I was trying to write songs that sounded like what I thought people wanted to hear, which was at the time was a lot of Pascal Paul, Jason Robert Brown, Joe Iconis. I was trying to emulate these guys and not in an homage way. If I listen back to some of those songs, I'm like, God, I was like ripping them off. I was just trying to, you know, design my material to sound just like theirs because they were doing so well. I thought that's what I had to do. Here's the thing that I think is lost on a lot of people. And I'm really happy I figured it out when I did. Uniqueness is the only thing that matters. Good, the word good, you said you're questioning if you're good enough. That is the most subjective term in the world because it's not up to you what good is. That's why I said, I don't believe in the word perfection. We can't strive for perfection. We can just strive for individuality. The more we lean into, oh, this is what I do. This, and I'm not the first person to write songs, but I'm the first person to come at it through this point of view or through this lens or with this approach. Everybody's approach is custom made. 
And that goes for actors, that goes for directors, because we're all using different senses, right? We're using feel, we're using our visual senses, our ears, we're, we're coming at it differently no matter what. So even though I'm not the first songwriter in the world, I can lean into the idea, I'm certainly the only Drew Gasparini in the world. And it's really funny now hearing a lot of young composers writing songs, and I'm like, wow, that sounds identical to like all these songs that I've written. You know, it, 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 that, that cycle of, emulating or trying to be what's already out there never stops but and you're going to stay in that cycle until you just break out one day and you're like out on your own and you're floating around in purgatory and you're like okay i'm out here i'm a little scared i'm a little lost i'm just trying the thing i want to do without anybody looking at me here we go and if you attack it that way i think you're going to see the difference in terms of finding a job and establishing a career and I realized I didn't want a job. I didn't want to get hired to write songs for this or hired to write songs for that. I wanted to be looked at as Drew Gasparini. I really wanted to be like Lindsay Mendez. You'll see her on stage and she is playing a role that a lot of people have played, but she's doing it so different. She's doing it how Lindsay Mendez would do it. You know what I mean? There's something that breaks off in her rhythm that makes it so unique to her. I love that. Same with Alex Brightman and guys like that. I admire those artists and I try my hardest to make sure that I make that a part of my mission statement. Only I can do what I do, you know? And that doesn't mean write songs. It just means process wise. Only I process writing songs the way that I do. Nobody else does. We might have similarities, but nobody does it like I do. And that does help with the confidence. Now, the thing that people get confused with, and I'm sorry for rattling on here, this is your podcast and I can't shut up, but ego is not the same thing as confidence. And I think a lot of people forget to leave their ego at the door uh, and they bring it in with them. And then all of a sudden that ego is masking as confidence, but really what it is is insecurity. Bring your insecurities with you, absolutely. Carry those with you. Those are always, those should be surface level right under the skin for you, but do it in a confident way. Like own what you're bad at, own what you're working on. Don't say I'm the best, I'm the best. Nobody's better than me. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm the best songwriter. I'm saying I'm the best Drew because there isn't another Drew. I work very hard at being a great songwriter and that's where my confidence lies, is I think that my worst song is still probably a pretty darn good song because I've been doing it for so long. That's the confidence. But my ego is not like, I'm the best, look out. How come he got hired and not me? I'm better than him. Better is not up to me. Better is up to everybody else. So if you could be just confident in, oh, he got the job because that wasn't my job to get. It wasn't my job to lose either. It wasn't my job, period. Then you're not egotistical about it. You're just confident that your job will come. The job, when it's the right time and it's the right project and it's the right group of people, it's gonna come. This business takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of patience and you're not gonna get there unless you can wait it out. And if, you, if you're gonna wait it out, it requires a lot of confidence in knowing that you are doing the best that you can and you're the only one doing it the way that you're doing it. Preach it. This is, you just brought me to church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look out. It's Pastor Drew here. I need that's so great. And I want to say, I don't know, as a person of faith, that like the we always say, like the best form of worship is in the waiting seasons and how much like we truly love what we're called to do 
if we're willing to wait for it and just be in what we do at that time. So I can only imagine <laughs> how much you've done in that time. And then the, then the right thing comes in the right time. And then when Karate Kid comes out, everyone will know that is Drew Gasparini. Like that. Totally. But that's, that's. That was me. made for you. It's like, it's a, but it's a cool thing that people will recognize too. Not just you, but like speaks yeah. so highly of who you are and your essence and that's like just what you need to trust and have hope for that that thing will come yeah if you lose the trust in yourself i mean that's where the confidence comes from right you don't start doing this unless you trust that you can what advice do you have for um people auditioning for your work and for when you're behind the table and auditioning I hope people know what I mean when I say this, but this really goes uh, mostly for the women who audition. Don't keep wearing, what is the, there's like someone like invented an audition dress. I don't know what it is, but it's the same dress. Everybody wears it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. What is the that? nude like character heels or whatever. Yes, please stop that. <laughs> please, please just be yourself. For the love Thank of you God, for saying that because I I auditioned for Finding Nemo the musical in Orlando, and I yeah. want to be Nemo. That's my dream role. I'm putting it out yeah, there. I want to be it. Nemo, and Fun. I actually wore like like a tomboy look because that's what he looks like in the show. It was like yeah. I wore like overalls or something, and all the other girls were in that look that you just said, and I felt Absolutely. so insecure. But I was like, this is the, this is Nemo though. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you <laughs> leaned into the this is Nemo part of that. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I I don't understand why that's put in place because the thing, you know, I'm, and I'm glad you prefaced the question like if people were auditioning for me. Yeah, for um, you. Not necessarily auditions generally, but for me, I want to see you be you because the thing is, we don't know what we want either. Don't come in here thinking we know what we want. Come in here just being the most you you can be and then we'll decide if we want to call you back just a reminder for those of you who don't know how auditions work, when you get a call back, we actually give you the material we want you to sing. For that first audition, don't be like, oh, this is a perfect song. For Just come in, just sing. And if we want something else, we just ask in the room, do you have anything else? Like that's how this works. Uh, so people assuming that they have assessed what it is we're looking for is the wrong way to go, especially in my book. And, um, Pop music is a big thing. Contemporary, Pasek and Paul is not pop music. That is contemporary theater. Put a pop song in your book, right? We're trying to bridge the gap of what musical theater is and what the rest of the world listens to. And it's always been that way. People start thinking that they're two different things. They're not, nor should they be. Theater is pop music as far as I'm concerned because when theater was just coming up and we had the Gershwins and the Cole Porters and all that kind of stuff back in the heyday in the golden age of Broadway, that's what was on the radio, right? That's no different now. It shouldn't be different just because theater has a sound, especially during the 80s when theater kind of had this grandiose Les Mis, Miss Saigon kind of sound. That doesn't mean we can't like interpret your actability through a pop song. So get used to singing pop music, particularly if it's for one of my shows, because that's kind of how I roll. And just be the most individual you you can be. Basically, I just want to see if it's a kick-ass conversation. I just want to see if like, are you the person I want to spend 12 hours a day with in these next bunch of months working on this piece? You know, I'd rather know if you're a butthead or not <laughs> than if you're like the most talented person. You know, everybody's talented. 
everybody is talented, but not everybody is fun to work with. So I'm more looking at the, would this be a fun hang? So just be yourself. That's, that's my criteria at least. That's great advice. Yes. I want to say <laughs> when I first got into theater and auditioning and stuff, I didn't know anything. I reached out to this girl I knew who was like a major theater kid growing up. I was like, hey, do you have any audition song suggestions? And she was like, yeah, Two Little Lines by Drew Gasparini. And I was like, I don't think that's going to work for Sound of Music. Because <laughs> I listened to that song and I was like... Well, this is also for my Christian school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that might be not so good for your Christian school. But that's how I was introduced to you. And and I was like so excited just to see everything you've done. Like since then, you've done yeah. so much. And I'm a huge fan of Alex Brightman. I've taken his classes and stuff. I think he's so funny. I love when you guys are together and ripping off each other. You're just we the best. You need a musical of just too. you two, please. No, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I do. I pay. I. But we're, you know, we're, we collaborate in so many ways. We're, we're best buds and we crack each other up. And that's always a fun part of the friendship is just riffing those bits. But when we write together, it's a beautiful thing. I really like what our two heads can do as creative types. So it makes me happy when people say, it's so fun to see you guys as friends because when you see what we like write together and put it on stage, it's not always this hysterical, you know, fart joke kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> it really, we, we have the same amount of heart that we put into the, the craft and what it is that we're trying to accomplish under our artistic mission statements. And I'm just, uh, I'm proud of my friendship with Alex because of the collaboration. Yeah. That we get to that do. So is... it makes me happy that you, you and, and several other people acknowledge that. That's very cool. Yeah, no, I think that's really special and that's inspired me too. And like, as we're saying how I just graduated and trying to f navigate and figure out my own Thing. and I really love filmmaking and I'm really praying and trying to find that those people because I can't do it alone I want right. to do it alone I wish right. I could do everything film and be in it and direct and write but it's a lot of work and I just am really manifesting and putting it out there that I'll find the right people to collaborate with because that's really where the magic happens it is I tell you you know I said it earlier on but if you really try you know, take the advice or don't, but you try to plan your day out. Like you are running a company, like you're that company and you map your, there are 24 hours in a day. And there used to be a meme that was going around that goes, we all have the same amount of time in the day as Lin-Manuel Miranda and look how much he does, right? So clock your hours and you can accomplish all those things. And when you talk about collaboration and even though it's through friendships, a lot of it, think of it as staffing. Think of it as like, okay, this is my, my comedy department over here. And this is my uh, songwriting department over here. And this is my directing department over here. You're gonna have influence and you're gonna be influenced by all those different angles. And that's how being a CEO really works. You have to reach the vision for the company. So it sounds like you have the vision. Now you gotta map the course. Last question, what is your biggest dream? This is the Dreamers podcast. Mm -hmm. What is your biggest dream? Oh man, my biggest dream is, uh, you ask this to everybody, don't you? Is this how every podcast goes? It's, this is a big question. A bi my biggest dream, it shifts all the time. Can I, can I do a top three? Yeah, of course. First one is my biggest dream is just to see the theater community wake back up 
and be back to life. My biggest dream in terms of that, just seeing people shoulder to shoulder in an audience. I'm thrilled with all the TikTok musicals going on because it's cool to see collaboration no matter how. It's nice to see things getting created, but it'll never replace the feeling of sharing an experience and hearing that shared experience through people's reactions in a live audience. I, I, so that's right now because of the year we just went through, that's my biggest dream, getting that back on its feet. Um, and career wise, I think I really wanna do uh, an animated movie. I would really love to score or write the songs for, not necessarily score, but write the songs for an animated movie, uh, a large scale feature film animated movie. And outside of that, I would love to own a house in California. That's what I would love to do. Yeah, those are great dreams. And I believe that'll happen for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I, I do have like, actually two more questions. I'm sorry. That's fine. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> Who really inspires you? Alex Brightman really does inspire me. And me just because we were talking about him, <laughs> it, it's uh, he inspires me because... I see so much of myself in him and it reaffirms I'm doing something right, you know, because I see it work out. It, I, I'm seeing it work out for me, but I see it work out for Alex. He has got a work ethic that I, I love and I admire. And I, I think he and I match each other in terms of our work ethic. Uh, but the way he is able to have the attention of fans the way that he does and navigate being present and curating his fans and then take the time to manage his writing career and then take the time to manage his performance career and take the time to manage his home life with his wife and his dog and you know the things he's he, he's he, he is mastering balance right before our eyes and I look up to that um and outside of that, anybody who's got the hunger in their belly for the arts, and that's typically young people. Old, older people get jaded really quickly, and I'm surrounded by mostly those people. So people who just graduated, like you, people who are excited to continue and want to see it through, that is so inspiring. And it re-inspires me to continue doing what I do. So that's who inspires me. Do you have any last words of inspiration for our listeners? Um, if you're listening, just keep dreaming, keep dreaming. And, uh, you know, hopefully those dreams come true, but it doesn't start without a dream. So keep dreaming. Thank you so much for listening to the dreamers podcast. Drew, if you're listening, the dream would be to audition for one of your shows one day. So I'm just putting it out there. And you guys can follow me on Instagram at Dreams by Brooklyn. We have t-shirts now. You can go to tpublic.com and search the Dreamers podcast. We have lots of really fun merch up there. Shout out to tpublic. You guys rock. Always remember, if you can dream it, you can do it.